The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, we conclude the first sermon in our series on the kingdom of God. In the first half of this sermon, we looked at the kingdom of God, and we found that when Jesus said the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was talking about primarily the visible aspect of that kingdom, which is the church of the living God. In the conclusion to the message today, we learn that the church is Christ's church. He told the disciples that he would build his church upon the rock of revelation from God to man, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Since it's his church, he has the right to dictate the terms, and not man. Too many times in the world, we're looking for a church that suits our needs. But what we really should be looking for is the church that matches what Christ desires in his kingdom. As we go through this sermon series, we're going to see that there are certain foundational beliefs that the church should hold, and there are certain foundational practices that the church should observe. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Out in the cold world, away from God, no signs of Oh 
feel like it's our place to impose what we believe on other churches. You know, we do things a little differently here. And I'm going to point that out in this series. But the purpose of pointing it out is not to take shots at other denominations. It's not to take uh, to assail or assault. I've heard it done that way. I've heard preachers stand in the pulpit and blast other denominations. Sometimes you may hear me point out a difference between something that we believe and something that maybe the Southern Baptists believe or the Methodists believe or the Presbyterians believe. But I, it's not in an effort to attack anyone. It's not our place. You're here voluntarily. You know, you're here voluntarily. And, and this is not to, not to be blunt about it, but if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. You know, we're not here to try to grab people and drag them into church and, and, and browbeat them with what we, you know, that's not our place. We want you to, we believe that we're doing it as closely as possible to the New Testament model. That's why we're here. If I didn't believe we were, I wouldn't be here. But, but we, that's part of the purpose of this series is to try to, Make sure we understand the biblical foundation for why we do what we do and what we believe. But it's voluntary. I'm sorry to say there's a movement out there. Uh, I call it Christian nationalism. And I'm not sure that's the right term. Don't get caught up in that. I've got a couple of good friends who believe that it's their job as Christians to take over the government and then to legislate from the government biblical positions and make people basically turn this nation into theocracy. Beloved, we don't want a theocracy, okay? That's not what we're here for. In fact, it's not our job to take over the government. Now, let me stop you. Let me say, preacher, you say we should not be concerned about Christian values in our government? Absolutely we should. And throughout history, Baptists and other Christians have, have, have taken part in government, and they should, and you should too. And when you vote... It's your Christian duty to evaluate the candidates and their positions and see if they line up with the scriptures. And if they don't, don't vote for them. Vote for the ones that are lining up with what the Bible says. But don't ever get it in your mind that it's our job as, as Christians to take over the government and somehow institute a theocracy here in this world. See, people that feel that way have misunderstood the difference between the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of God. If, if Jesus had wanted that, he'd have done it when he was here. But he told Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. Beloved, your kingdom's not of this world. You know, that helps me, by the way. I've been frustrated with politics over the past several years. I've been frustrated with the way the world's going. I've been frustrated with some of the, 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 the awful laws, the laws that allow, that legalize the murder of babies. I, that frustrates me. That's wrong, beloved. According to what I read in the scripture, God hates the murder of innocence. But let me tell you something. We're always going to be frustrated here. You know why? You're not at home. You're not at home. That doesn't mean we roll over and we play dead and we. No. Get out there and try to make changes, but understand that you're never going to be successful in implementing some kind of utopia here on this earth. God said about Abraham that he was a stranger and a pilgrim and a sojourner in a strange land. And he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. If we could be happy here on earth, what's heaven for? <laughs> 
Why did he make heaven if we could be satisfied here on this earth? So let me, let me talk to you for a few minutes about this idea about the existence of Baptists, not necessarily by name, throughout the centuries. As I said earlier, we don't believe that Baptists are Protestants, that there was a group that was generally called Anabaptists that predated the Reformation. Now, the word Anabaptist means rebaptizers. And, and the point of that is, is that instead of accepting the infant baptism that the Catholic Church uh, would do, the Catholic Church married the state in, in the 300, about 310 A.D., when Constantine was, uh, uh, was the emperor of Rome. And at that point, uh, the church in general became closely affiliated with the state. But all through the centuries of time, there have been dissenters out there who did not go along with that. And these Anabaptists predated the Reformation. There, there, was a, there were accounts that we read about of Anabaptists, those rebaptizers, in the, in, the, in the early years of the church after it, after it had gone a different direction, who, when the time came for, uh, for infant baptism, for example, they would turn their backs and look the other way just in silent protest. We'll talk about baptism shortly, but uh, not today most likely, but we'll talk about that at some point, about how that Baptists traditionally believe that, it's, that, that, that believers... Baptism is the proper type of baptism. But I want you to, I want to read you something that a man named Hosius, he was a cardinal in the mid-1500s. He was a Catholic cardinal. He, he presided over the Council of Trent from 1561 to 1563. The Council of Trent was the, the apex of the Counter-Reformation when the Catholic Church came in and tried to counter everything that Luther and Calvin had done during the early days of the Reformation. And this is what he said writing in the mid-1500s. If the truth of religion were to be judged of by the readiness and cheerfulness which a man of any sect shows in suffering, then the opinion and persuasion of no sect can be truer or surer than that of the Anabaptists. Since there have been none for these 1,200 years past that have been more grievously punished or that have more cheerfully and steadfastly undergone and even offered themselves to the most cruel sorts of punishments than these people. There's a man who was clearly the enemy of not just Luther and Calvin, but of the Anabaptists, who affirms that they've existed for the past 1,200 years and that they've been mightily persecuted. My point again is that we're not Protestants. Baptists in general are not Protestants. So I say that just to point out that one of the purposes of the church not, this is, again, this is not to assault any other church. But one of the purposes of God's church is to try to cling to the biblical model as closely as we can. Probably the clearest place where Jesus, it, it's, he may have done things before this, but we know in Matthew chapter 16, he established the church. And I want you to look at it with me for just a minute. In Matthew chapter 16, verse... Uh, 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? Now that's a pretty good question, isn't it? And that's a question that his disciples didn't always get right. But notice what happens here. They said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh, it was clear to most people, including a man named Josephus, who wrote a history of the Jews uh, during the time of Christ. It was clear to him, even, that Jesus was some kind of prophet. 
But he says to them then, he asks the question that's most pertinent. And by the way, it's a pertinent question for us, child of God. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? You know, you can say some say this and some say that. The preacher said this and the deacon said that. Who do you say he is? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice what Jesus said in verse 17. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Let me just say this to you. If you ever come to the point in your life where you can say in your heart, I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not something you studied. That's not something you were educated into. That's something that was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Oh, you may have read it in the Scriptures, but I know of many people who've read it in the Scriptures and didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They didn't care about it. They discounted it. They laughed it off. And then one day, something changed. And they believed it. There was a thief on the cross who was mocking and challenging Jesus Christ to come down from the cross and save himself and, and, and the others that were up there. He, he, was, he was casting the same in his teeth. You know, don't buy into this idea. There wasn't a good thief and a bad thief. There were two bad thieves. We're told in the 27th chapter of Matthew, Brother John Morgan preached it to us recently. They were both mocking him just like everybody else. And then something happened. On the cross, it wasn't a preacher preaching to him. It wasn't somebody going up there and baptizing him. It wasn't somebody handing him a Bible and getting him to read something or pray a prayer. It was the Holy Spirit's direct operation on the heart of that thief. And suddenly he saw something different in Christ. You know why? Blessed art thou, you could say, O thief, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now look at verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter... And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Boy, there's a lot in that, and we're not going to be able to finish it all. Let me just say it this way. This is the first mention of the word church in the New Testament. It's the first time you see it. Do a word search, and I'll show, it'll, it'll prove me right. And there's several truths we need to get from this passage. First of all, it is Christ's church. I say this with all the humility I can muster today because it's an awesome task. I'm doing my best in this message and every time I get up here to represent to you what Jesus said about his church. What I want to preach to you and what I'm talking to you about here, I don't want to talk to you about what I think. I don't want to talk to you about my opinions. I want to talk to you about what Jesus said. Because, you know, it's not my church. I know we say it's my church, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. I, I talk about it all the time. I'm going to my church. This is our church. I hope you take some ownership and, and pride and love for this church to the point where you feel like a part of it and you feel like saying that. But understand at the end of the day, it is not your church, and it is not my church. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it is my church. It is owned by him and it is built by him. And because he owns it and because he built it, we ought to really be interested in finding out how he wants it done. And that's the purpose of what I'm trying to do here this morning and hopefully over the next few Sundays. Notice also here another important truth. It is built upon a rock. A rock. And by the way, the rock is not Peter. 
Now, you don't have to go back to the Greek to understand that, but I do find it interesting to go back to the Greek in this passage, and there's a little Greek play on words here. Simon Peter's name here, when he calls, he said, Thou art Peter. That word in Greek is Petros. We would spell it P-E-T-R-O-S. And Petros means a little pebble. A little bitty pebble, okay? Notice he says, then, upon this rock, and that's the Greek word Petri, P-E-T-R-A-I. And the, word, the Greek word Petri means a huge cliff. <laughs> so you got Peter, the little pebble, but you got some other rock over here that's a huge cliff that the church is built upon. I'm so thankful the church wasn't built on Peter. You know, if the church had been built on Peter, it would sure have crumbled in just a few days after this, not long after this, when Peter rejects Christ and, 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 and recants and, and curses and swears that he is not a part of Jesus Christ. Praise God the church isn't built on Peter. And by the way, praise God the church isn't built on me. We're, no, don't get me wrong. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. And I'm so thankful for Aunt Lorraine that she stayed here as the only member of this church for so many years and she was faithful. And there's, she deserves some praise and encouragement for that. Yes, she does. And you do too for being here and for being part of this. I'm thankful for you. It encourages me that you come and that you're part of this church. And, and, and I hope you're encouraged by the, the studies that I do and the preaching that I do. But I want to tell you, beloved, the church wasn't built on Aunt Lorraine. And the church ain't built upon me or you. Praise God, it's built upon something much greater than us. Because there's been times I haven't been as faithful as I ought to be. There's been times I hadn't done the things I ought to do here in this church, as your pastor even. There are times I look at myself in the mirror and realize what a, what a failure I am as a pastor here at this church. And I think to myself, and I've said to my dear wife so many times, what in the world am I doing here? How could I possibly be doing this? Look at my life and look at me. And praise God, it's not built upon me. You know, that's why I can keep coming down here. That's why I can keep coming back. You know how little I feel like a part of the church sometimes? Or how little I feel like I deserve to be here? <laughs> you know why I keep coming back? Because the church not built on me. The church is, I'm, I'm that little pebble. If Peter was a little pebble, I'm just a grain of sand. Oh, but the church isn't built upon Peter. It's not built upon that little pebble. It's built upon the rock. What's the rock? It's this divine revelation from God to man, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, not the Son of some dead God, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built upon. And I want to say to you, if you're going to a church that does not preach that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, you need to find a different church. <laughs> you need to go somewhere else. And that Jesus Christ, <clears throat> oh, that carries so much with it. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. And you know what he did for us? He died for us. But he didn't just die for us. He arose for us. I've heard of churches that are, exist today, so-called, I'm not even going to call them a church. So-called churches, they claim the name of church, but they don't even believe that Jesus Christ's resurrection was a historical fact. Beloved, that's not a church that's built upon the rock. This is the rock, the revelation. I heard, I was reading about 
Brother Michael Goins, again, I was reading in his, Brother Michael Goins' book, and he put it this way. I just, I tried to rewrite it, Brother Buddy, and I tried to restate it, but it just didn't sound as good as the way Brother Michael did it. So I'm going to quote Brother Michael on this. It is upon the bedrock of divine revelation concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that Christ has promised to build his church. Praise God. I wish I could have thought of that. But Brother Michael's always got better sayings than I do anyway. It is upon the bedrock of divine revelation that the church is built. See, that's why the church isn't just an organization. You know, there's a lot of good principles in the Rotary Club. There's a lot of good principles in the Lions Club. There's a lot of good principles in, in all these other uh, clubs that are out there. Uh, most of them are built upon charitable ideas and charitable organizations. The Salvation Army, St. Jude's, all those places are great. But I want to tell you, they're not the church. Because only the church is built upon the truth of God's Word. We're told in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. What's the ground do? The ground is the foundation upon which you build. So the truth should be the foundation upon which the church builds. What's a pillar do? A pillar holds things up where you can see it. So what should the church be doing? It should be holding the truth up so the world can see it. You know, the truth is not some secret that's been given to us to hold close to the vest. The truth is glorious. And by the way, as we bring this message to a close, let me just say this to you. One other truth out of this passage is that the church will never be overcome. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a twofold meaning there, I believe. Number one, hell often refers to the grave. The grave is not going to overcome the church. In other words, the church is not going to die out. The church is not going to die out. But number two, the devil himself will not overcome the church. Now, does that mean that no matter what we do at Zion Primitive Baptist Church, no matter how we act, no matter what we preach, no matter how we deal with one another, that Zion Primitive Baptist Church is always going to be here? It does not mean that. He didn't say that every single local church will always be there. The church at Ephesus was one of the greatest churches of its day. And there's no church in Ephesus today. At least not that church. That church is gone. But what he's saying to us is this. He asks in another place, when the Son of Man returneth, shall he find faith in the earth? I believe he's talking about called out faith, a called out body of faithful believers. And the answer is yes, he will. There will be a church somewhere when he comes back. But you know, it's important that we remember that how we act and how we treat one another and how we treat visitors and how we love one another makes a difference. This church, as you know, slipped into the doctrine of absolute predestination of all things. The idea that what is to be will be. And, and the idea there was that you can't do anything different, you can't do anything for uh, positive or negative, God's already laid it all out, and you're going you're gonna to be doing it all just the way God said to do it. And that church had problems with that, and, of course, the church declined. And many churches around here did that. The problem with that teaching is that it gives you a sense of resignation, and it says that, well, if God wants people here, he'll send them, okay? 
if God wants people to hear his sin, I know God has to be in the matter. God, we're told that uh, the Lord adds to the church, okay? But, but, but he doesn't pick people up and, and grab them by the hair of the head and drag them down the aisle and throw them into the baptistry. <laughs> you see, he doesn't predestinate those things. You know, the problem with that idea that, oh, well, the Lord will get them here if he wants them here, is there's a corollary to that, and we saw it play out over the last decades, several decades earlier in some of our churches. And that's this idea that, well, if the Lord wants them here, I can't do anything to run them off. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how I act or how I deal with them. If they, if they leave here, it's just because the Lord wanted them to leave. No, beloved, the Lord doesn't want you to leave. The Lord doesn't want us to run people off. The Lord intends for us as His church to deal with one another in love and long-suffering and patience. And that ought to be the whole... You know what Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 34? He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Okay, that's a good commandment, Jesus. How are we to do it? As I have loved you, that you love one another. They didn't fully understand that then, but Jesus was on the road, on the short road to Calvary. He was about to die for them. He was about to lay down his life for them. You know, that's what he says we're to do for one another. We're to lay down our lives for one another. That, that can mean giving up your life physically, but most of the time it just means laying down the stuff you want and helping somebody else out with what they need, you see. Putting you down and raising them up. And then he said this. <laughs> Some people misquote this. They, or they misunderstand it. Some people think it says, by their orthodoxy, You'll know them. <laughs> Doesn't say that, does it? He said, by this, that is how you love one another, shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. You know, that's the most important aspect of our church. We, we're going to continue on this at some point and hopefully see some of the truths that the church ought to be preaching and ought to be built upon. But let me just lay the foundation for you here and say this. It doesn't matter how much truth we preach from this pulpit of this church or how much truth you know in your head. If you don't love your brother and sister, if you don't demonstrate that love, then it's all worthless. Paul knew more truth than I'll ever know. He had more truth in his pinky finger than I'll ever have in my whole lifetime of study. And he said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not charity or love. I'm like a clanging brass or a tinkling cymbal. You see, that's all we are without love. The church is built upon the divine revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the living God. He is the Christ. And what goes along with that is that we ought to show the love to one another that He showed to us. I hope the Lord will continue to bless us in this regard. Maybe Maybe we'll see some things that'll help us. I know the study's already helped me. I appreciate your kind attention this morning. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. 
or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.